How's everyone doing this morning? Okay. Oh, man. It's a bad start. Okay, how's everyone doing this morning? Uh, just, a, just a warning to you. Um, I'm a youth pastor, so I speak to youthful people. So you got to give me a little bit of youthful energy today. Okay, no one left, so that's good. No one left. That's good. Um, today, I actually have the opportunity to, to close out our series on... Um, as you go, our, our series on, on going. And today I'm going to be talking about the Great Commission. And uh, Pastor Derek is actually in Pinedale, Wyoming. He's speaking up there. Uh, we have a church plan up there. Um, it's their one-year anniversary. So he's actually speaking the same message as I am today. And I think it's important to realize um, that as Pastor goes and does all these things, he's literally filling out the Great Commission that we're all called to fill out. And as he goes, we're actually, we actually as a church become a part of that. Amen. And I think it's important to realize um, that a good vision, a great vision doesn't just live inside of one person, but it becomes the resemblance of the organization. And I think um, today we're really living that out as a church body as, as we let Pastor go out and speak. Um, so give you a little background of who I am. For those of you who don't know, like I said, my name's Jeremiah. I'm the director of student ministries here at Gateway. I have a uh, beautiful wife, Danielle, and uh, a redheaded child. And um, he's got curly hair, and he's, he's great. He's, um, he's become the love of my life. I absolutely love him. He's in this phase right now where he just absolutely loves his dad. He can't get enough of me. And so it uh, definitely warms my heart. Um, but I'm excited to share with you guys today. We're going to start out in Isaiah 6, 8. It's kind of been our, our scripture for the series so far. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. So that, that's, that's been our verse. You see the, the tie that the Old Testament actually has into the Great Commission that we're called to live out today. That Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, the things that were said all the way back in Isaiah. And let's look at Matthew 28 and the fulfillment of that. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, you guys, you guys have uh, some notes there if you guys want to take notes and follow along. The first point, your first blank there, is as you go, get in the flow. Now, I don't, I don't claim to be a rapper, but that's pretty good. Um, as you go, get in the flow. Let me, let me explain what that means. We're looking at the overall vision of what the Great Commission is and, and God's commandment to us to go. But not only is it a commandment to go, it's as you go. See, as we're living out this life, and we're going to talk about this more in depth today, as we're living out this life, we're not called to get everything right and then go. We're called to, to figure things out as we go with other people and to bring other people alongside of us. And uh, as we dive deeper into the Great Commission today, my, my, my hope is that you realize that the Great Commission has to be more than just a commandment to us. It has to be a way of life. The Great Commission has to be more than just a commandment to us. It has to be a way of life. When something becomes the way that you live, it no longer is something that, that you struggle to do. It's natural for you to do it. You do it with a good attitude. You do it with a hopeful heart. And it's important for us to step back check our frame of mind and understand that, man, the Great Commission flows from Jesus and who Jesus was. And when we begin to understand that, it becomes a little bit easier for, do, for us to do the things that he's commanded. Amen? 
So I want to read this, this quote to you. Um, from, it's actually from Pastor Derek as he was putting, putting this message together together with me. It says, the Great Commission, and, and you have the blanks there, the Great Commission is an invitation to receive and give instruction. It is an opportunity to take the power in life that Jesus has invested in you and inspire others to receive. It is an opportunity to be involved in the greatest endeavor known to mankind. And today, we're going to go through those five, those five eyes there and talk about the Great Commission and the way that we're called to live that out in our lives and the influence that that can have to impact, people, impact people. See, the reason why we live out the Great Commission is that verse there, that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. It's always important to ask ourselves the reason that we do things. Because if, if you're doing things for, for a, a purpose-driven reason, the other things begin to matter less and less. The, the outcomes of it matter less and less. The expectations matter less and less. When, when you have the, the source of why you're doing something, it becomes a lot easier to do it in purpose-driven. Amen? See, we have to get into the mindset that, that the great commandment isn't, isn't just a commandment, but it's a vision and it's a way of life for us. Are you guys, you guys awake? Man. Am I that boring? Was that that fast? You guys just checked out? That's rough. Okay. I'm going to preach a little bit today. I hope that's all right. Um, you know, I always tell my youth, I, I like it when you guys talk back to me. The Bible says, let the learned in the house say amen. There we go. Okay, now, now we're flowing, right? Getting the flow, right? So let's, uh, we're going to read there. We're going to read the parable of the Great Supper. And it's in Luke chapter 14. Verse 15 says, Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man who gave a great supper invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have brought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask, to, I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of these men who are invited shall taste my supper. The important thing that we see in this parable is the emphasis on the invitation. The, the emphasis on the invitation. See, there, there's a man who has a house, and he wants to put on this great, great supper for all these people, but the people that he expected to come began to make excuses. I just want to say it's, it's real easy for us to make excuses not to come into the house of God. It is. I, I, if I'm being honest with you, you know. Man, you know, I, I was partying last night. It was, it was rough, you know. Those, uh, those excuses that come into our life make it easy for us to say no to, to a master who cares about us and wants to put on a supper for us, if you will. This parable, this parable is, a, is a beautiful illustration 
that the, the people oftentimes that will come into, into the house that will accept an invitation are the people that we never thought would. You know, um, I'll share with you guys a little bit about what's going on in, in, in our youth group right now. We have, a lot of, we have a lot of students that have recently come to Christ. And, and a lot of students that have been um, recently atheists, recently agnostic, people who, who drink, people who have problems with drugs. And, and it's so easy for us as Christians to get inside of this mindset that it's the only people we need to be inviting to church are those that will accept the message of church. Because we think that we can proclaim that message ourselves and it will sit well with people. Don't limit what God is capable of doing in other people's lives with your expectations of what might happen. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You see, we're called, to go out, we're called to go out into the streets and invite people back to the church. Nowhere in the Bible does it command people to come to church. It commands us to go out and invite people. It, it, it takes an evangelistic mindset for us to reach the people that God has called us to. If, if we were to sit in here all day, we wouldn't be fulfilling the great commandment of what God's called us to do. You know, I contemplated, I was joking around with, with Adam this morning about, uh, man, this sermon, I could do a one-minute sermon. Hop up, hey, my name's Jeremiah. Go. Drop the mic. And now, I was, I was going to do it. I don't know if Pastor would have liked that. Um, <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? Everything boils down to us going out. And I was thinking about this this week. We're not called to invite people to a place. We're called to invite people into a lifestyle, and the place becomes a part of that lifestyle. You guys see what I'm saying? When, you, when you're living a lifestyle that is so attractive to people, you don't have to worry about inviting them to a 1030 service on Sunday morning. Because when you invite someone into a lifestyle, they want to know how they can further that lifestyle. That's when the invitation to church comes. But if you, but if you go out and, and, and one of the ways that that lifestyle can happen is here at church. I'm not telling you to not invite people to church because this is a place where people can be reached for the power of God. But unless you're living a lifestyle, it's not going to be attractive to people. Because the church has a, has, a, has a bad rap, if you will, with people who aren't saved. No, number one thing of, of what people say about Christians is that they're hypocrites. You know, I swear, if I hear that from one more of my friends, I'm going to lose it. Oh, well, you know, I don't go to church because of the hypocrites. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. SMH, shake my head. You see, we're called to, to invite people by the way that we live. We're called to invite people by the way that we live. Amen? You see, many will reject the invitation, but God wants his house to be full. So Jesus tells us to keep inviting even when the people you thought would come don't. It's important that we focus on those that feel unwanted, unworthy, and unimportant. I touched on this a little bit. The, the people, they're not unwanted, they're not unworthy, and they're not unimportant. But they come to feel that way because of the lifestyle that they're in. People, people will fall into this understanding of what other people view them as. And until, until we, come, we help them come to that realization of what Christ has called them to is the exact opposite of those things. See, that's why it's so important to invite these people. That's why it's so important to live a lifestyle that is attractive to these people. Because people like this who feel this way, and we all do at some point, they want an answer of how they cannot feel that way. You know, I have, I have a lot of friends who, who have recently been, been calling me um, 
asking me, man, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. You know, I just, I, I need some help. And first of all, I say neither, neither do I. I just want you to know that I have no idea what's happening, what's going on. Um, you know, two babies at 21 years old, it's going to get crazy. But the important thing for them to realize is that they don't feel alone in this process. When we portray ourselves as the opposite of this, because to me, I'm unwanted, unworthy, and unimportant to the world. Because quite frankly, I, I, don't, I don't care what the world thinks, man. When we, ha- when we have that mindset that, that this is how the world views us, we're able to relate to other people that feel that way about themselves. Amen? Yeah. So it's important that, what, is, what does this look like for us to invite people? Check this out. Maybe it's the poor people like, like blind Bartimaeus. Maybe it's the rich people like Zacchaeus. Religious people like Nicodemus. Sick people like the lame man. Confused people like the woman at the well. Working people like James and John who left their nets to follow Jesus. Political leaders like Cornelius. The social people like Lydia. And the little people like the children Jesus spoke of in Matthew 19, 14. See, the disciples missed the point of why they were going. The disciples missed the point of why they were going. The disciples thought that they were going out to invite these people to see them come back. And they, they went out with, with such high expectations of what would happen. You see, when we go out with expectations of what we expect to happen and seeing fruit instantly, we lose what it means to live a passionate life apart from people's, what people are going to do. You can't control people. I don't know if you've noticed that. As much as I want my son to go to bed at 2 a.m. in the morning, I cannot control him to do so. You guys following me? The, the thing about inviting people is that it's a messy job. It really is. It's a messy job. And the Great Commission in general is a messy job because we're dealing with people. But it's not our job to focus on how messy it is. It's our job to get into it and be a part of what's happening. Right? So... Invitation is extremely key. The second point, as you go, instruct them. Instruct them. Matthew 28, 20 says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. The, one of the things I've been teaching my youth with so many new people coming to Christ, we have, we have a good balance of people who, who have been Christians for a very long time and people who have never been to the church before. And it's absolutely wonderful. It's, it's, you know, it's where God has called us to be. But I think that the key word, the key word in this, in this uh, verse, if you will, is teaching. It's, I think it's really easy for, for us, you know, if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you understand what the Bible says about the do's and the don'ts, we begin to assume that everyone else understands that as well. And, and it's something I've had to, I've had to walk, walk my youth leadership team through and youth through as well. Is that, man, if, if, if someone's coming into the church, they have no idea what God expects of them. You guys following me? We, we miss the point of teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. It's easy for us to expect for them to know all I have commanded you. But it's our job, once we invite them into a place, to teach them what the things of God are about. You guys with me? I'll give you an extreme example, okay? Um, one of, one of the youth this summer that got saved, uh, to not be named, um, 
got, got, got his life changed at camp and, and uh, you know, and a worship night. And uh, he asked me the question two weeks later, completely threw me off, right, because I was in the wrong mindset. He said, is it, is it wrong to watch pornography? And I was like, you don't, you, you don't know? Right, it was, I, I was in this mindset of, holy cow, man, you don't understand that? But he didn't. He had no idea. This was a, this was a guy who had never, never grown up in the church, ne- never been under any sort of rules in his house. And I just automatically assumed, like, man, you, sh- you should know that. See, so often we forget that, that the people that we're supposed to be reaching, the people that we're inviting are the people who have no idea what's happening, no idea what's going on. But they're touched and impacted by the relationships that they see because it's something that they don't have that they want. Live your life not telling people about commandments, but teaching them about commandments. Amen? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Don't assume that people know. Don't assume that people know. Here's, here's the blanks for you. It is an each one reaches one and teaches one kind of mission. The invitation and the instruction. The invitation and the instruction. You know, the Great Commission tells us to make disciples. And, and Pastor, Pastor Derek, quite frankly, is, is, I've never met anyone quite as good as making disciples as Pastor Derek. And, and he'll tell you there's two things, there's two things that it takes to make a disciple. It takes an invitation and it takes a challenge. You invite them into a place where they can be challenged, and then you challenge them. That's exactly what Jesus did with, the, with his disciples, right? He didn't, pick, he didn't pick the religious people who knew all the rules. He, he picked the fishermen. He picked the, picked the tax collector, the people that people hated. And he transformed them into people who were then challenged to walk in the way of Christ. And you see, when we challenge people, we're instructing them, and it, and it boils down to this, who is teaching you and who are you teaching? It's important to have both. We can't have one without the other and have a healthy, healthy relationship of teaching, a healthy mindset of teaching. Who is teaching you? Who, is, who are those people in your life that you've given access in your life to speak the things into your life that need to be said when the hard times happen? You guys, all, hello? Can you, uh, thanks, thanks, Nathan. You have to have people in your life who are willing to say the hard things when you need to hear them the most. People will tell you fluff. You know, that's how you know, that's how you know who really cares about you. The people who are willing to look you in the eye and say, you got to change that. The people who say, oh, man, it's all good. It's all good. Man, those aren't, I don't, those aren't the people that I let teach me things. You guys with me? The second end of that is who are you teaching it's not enough to just receive. It's not enough to just receive. O- only, w- only when we begin to teach others about the things that are going on in our life are we really becoming the effective teachers that Christ has called us to be. Right? The, the, disciples, spent, the disciples spent three years right under Jesus' ministry being taught. But not only that were they being taught, they were teaching at the same time. And then Jesus, we know, 40 days after his resurrection, goes into heaven. 
And now imagine if the disciples would have not taught anything. Imagine if they would have not poured out their lives. We wouldn't be here right now. It was an attitude of, of accomplishing ministry and, and fulfilling the things that Jesus has called them to. If you're called to Jesus, you're called to f- fulfill the things that he's called you to. You're called to fulfill the gospel. You understand that the, the gospel is, is a message. It's a message that, that isn't forced upon people, but it's offered to people in such a way that's so sweet and inspiring that it's irresistible. Are you living your life in a way that's teaching others, that's instructing others how to live? Amen? Third point there, as you go, invest in them. Invest in them. Matthew 20, uh, 26 through 28 there. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom to many. You see, a true investment, a true investment, that's your blank, requires sacrifice. A true investment requires a sacrifice. Jesus set the example of what it meant to live a sacrificial life. You know, so often we go into this mindset, like I said, that inviting people and instructing people and investing in them is easy. It's not. It's not. Um, I've spent, you know, countless hours investing in people's lives that I've never seen the fruit of. I've never seen the fruit of it. Hours and hours of, of teaching and, and counseling people and, and pouring into their lives. And I've, I've never seen the spiritual fruit of it. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Because I know that my job is to plant seeds and it's, it's, job, it's God's job to decide where the harvest comes and when it comes. And until you can be okay with that, you're never going to have an attitude of sacrifice when it comes to investing in people. So, so often we want to see a math equation happen. I, I pour in two hours and, and two more hours and I get four hours back of, of result. God's not a math equation. And if you walk away with one thing today, God's not a math equation, right? It, it's important for us to realize that living a life of sacrifice means that, that investing in people no longer becomes a burden in our lives. Investing in people becomes a pleasure and it becomes a joy. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Jesus had the mindset that everyone else was above him. So often we get that confused with, with getting steamrolled over. You know, as Christians, we're not called to get steamrolled over. Did Jesus ever get steamrolled over? Absolutely not. But he was the first person to wa- wash his disciples' feet. He was the first person to kneel down and say, here's my life. Take it. You know, he would have died for, for each and every one of you individually if it was just you that he was saving. He, he, he lived a life that said everything else, everyone else is more important. But with that attitude comes the understanding of, of what eternity means. Let me explain. If you understand that if, if someone doesn't come to salvation that they're going to go to hell, then it's easy to get steamrolled over. If, if, you don't, if you don't have the heart and the compassion to tell someone 
that man, you know, if, if you don't come to the love of Christ, you, you, need, you need to understand that God is a just and holy God. But, but I want to show you the example of what love looks like. There was a, I shared this with the youth, there was a man, um, Penn and Teller, do you guys know Penn and Teller? From their comedians in Las Vegas? Does anyone know them? Okay, most of you. Um, you know, and I think Pastor Derek might have shared this, I'm not sure, but after, after his act, uh, he had called someone on stage who was a Christian, and, and this guy is an extreme atheist, he's, he's a representation of, he's really one of the forefront atheists in our, in our world. And it was a video about a man who came up to him and handed him a New Testament Bible after, after the show. And um, he was just talking to the camera and explaining this. And he said, man, it, you know, it really touched my heart. You know, I, I, I didn't give my life to God or anything, but it made, me, it made me realize, it made me think about it this way. If you're, if you're a Christian and you believe that if, if someone doesn't come to the love of, of Christ and give their life to Christ, that they're going to go to hell, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about that? How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about that? See, we have to have uh, a perspective of eternity in our lives. And an understanding of, of the things that we see in front of us is not going to be the final result of what happens on Judgment Day. You know, he, gave the, he went on to give the analogy... You know, if someone was, was standing in a street and you knew 100% that a bus was coming at them, how much would you have to hate that person to not tackle them out of the way? And, and, and knowing that eternal life is so much greater than that. You guys follow me today. When we invest in people, we have to come to understand and have a perspective of what it means to live a Christ-centered life and the result of what, what knowing Christ brings, eternal life. Amen? You see, the fourth point there, and it ties well into investing, because this is how you invest in the people. As you go, inspire them. As you go, inspire them. See, there's a need for Christians to be alive, alert, and awake. Because the world is longing for something real. The Pharisees were focused on law. Jesus was focused on the grace that fulfilled the law. Laws do not inspire people. People are inspired by life, and life comes by the Holy Spirit. If you want to live an inspirational life, you have to live a passionate life. You ever wonder why the movie's called Passion of the Christ? A man that lived with so much passion and conviction of what his purpose was. That everyone he came across was impacted by the passion that was inside of him. Because if you're truly passionate about the kingdom of God, it can't stay inside of you. If you've truly been convicted about what Jesus has done inside of your life, there's no way for you to keep it to yourself because you have the understanding of, man, other people have to know what this means. You see, I'm taking a, I'm taking a world religions class right now at UCCS. First discussion question the, guy, the, the professor asked this semester. Uh, describe, describe one... Um, Describe an event that changed your life, you know, spiritually, and, and did, you, did you tell others about it, or did you keep it to yourself? And there were two other questions after that. We, we come up to the discussion question, um, to talking about them in class, and he says, well, we're going to skip number one, because I don't want to embarrass anyone. 
not again. <laughs> I was like, I, I would love, I would absolutely love to share um, my first point. I shared, I shared my testimony a little bit with them about how, how I came to know Christ at 14 years old. And um, how I, I, couldn't, I couldn't not share it with my friends. How I couldn't not share it with my friends. You see, people, people have this, this attitude nowadays, man, you should, just keep, you should just keep what you believe to yourself. You know, I don't want to hear that. And I'll tell you what, if, if, you know, truth is not relative. Can we all, can we agree on that? Truth is not relative. There, there's one truth and it lies in the word of God and the, and the purpose that Christ has for your life. But that truth is not meant to make people feel bad. It's not meant to condemn them. It's meant to convict them. Christ didn't come in, in, into the world to condemn the world. He came to save it. You, you guys with me? Because when we begin to understand, I'm called to live a life full of inspiration and passion, and yet you want me to not tell anyone about anything. If you're truly convicted by the love of Christ, you have no other choice but to live passionately. And the thing is, is that passion looks different for each and every person. I'm an extremely extroverted person. Extremely extroverted. I'm talking, okay, I have to take a shuttle to UCCS every day. I have to shuttle from, from Four Diamonds all the way up to, it's about a 30-minute ride. And about 10 o'clock in the morning, there's something about, there's something about college kids. They all want to have their headphones in. I, I do it every now and then. You know, I like, I like to listen to music. But uh, I sure do annoy some people when we're sitting down on the shuttle in uh, two seats together. They've got their headphones in. I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? What the? Oh, hey, man, I just want to say hi, see how you're doing. He's like, you know, I, I had one person ask if I was gay. That was rough. <laughs> but uh, it, it's those opportunities that we let pass by to share Christ with people. Because, because in your life, if you're not pursuing God in, in, in the private, the passion is not going to show up in the public. If you're, not, if you're not pouring the Spirit of God into you, pouring the Word of God into you in private, that's not going to show up in the public. No matter how much you may want it to. The, the truth of the matter is, is this takes work. Living an inspirational life takes work. I want you to think about this statement. The love of Christ does not contradict the commandments of God. If you have your paper, write that down for me. The love of Christ does not contradict the commandments of God. If you're living a life that, that's in line with the love of Christ, then everything else in the word of God falls under that. But so often we get caught up in the polarity of the two. We get caught up in saying, man, you know, if... if if you do this and do this and do this, you'll go to heaven. If you don't, you'll go to hell. And then on the other side of the equation, there's people who want to say, man, you know, I, I just do whatever and I live in the grace of God because I know that my sins are healed. That's not a true understanding of what Christ did for you. Having a true understanding of what Christ did for you says, I'm going to follow the laws and commandments that, that, that God had laid out for me because it builds my relationship with him. And when I sin, it separates me from God. Jesus didn't come to dismiss the law, he came to fulfill it. And so often we get caught up, caught up in this idea, man, we can't, you know, it's hard for us to teach, teach people about what I've commanded because they don't want to hear that. Let me tell you something, the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the joint and marrow is what the Bible says. That's going to hurt. 
See, when you're living a life not in accordance with what God's word says and you come in line with the word of God, it hurts your lifestyle. It takes sacrifice. It takes change. It takes all these things that you don't want to do physically and fleshly. But understanding that when you change it spiritually, your depth in relationship with God will grow to a whole nother level. Now, I've shared this with my youth recently. This has been on my heart. The Bible says that we go from glory to glory. We go from glory to glory. So many of us are, are so often just stuck, flat-footed in the glory that we're in. Some of us are, are so planted where we're at with our relationship with Christ because we think that salvation already happened. The Bible says that, that God is working out, working out a good work in us. That's present tense. When you understand that your salvation didn't just happen the day you gave your life to Christ, but it happens every step along the way, and it's going to happen when Christ comes and saves us, it's easier to live a passion-filled life and, and, and come and draw closer to God and spend time with God. Amen? You see, 2 um, Corinthians 3, 6 says, Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Live in the Spirit, and the letter will follow. Live in the Spirit of God. Live in the love of Christ. Live in the Holy Spirit and the things that he's called you to, and the letter will follow. The letter will no longer be the law, if you will. The letter, the law, will no longer become this thing that disgruntles you because you feel like you have to follow rules. But the Bible will no longer be a rule book to you. It will be a guidebook that guides you into a life filled with love for Christ and, and a passion to see other people come to the same realization of who God is. Sometimes we just need a fire to be lit in our lives to start living in a different way for God. Sometimes it takes a fire from someone who's willing to step out and live a life that is an example of who Jesus is for us to move to that next level with God. The question you've got to ask yourself is, are you, are you going to be the one who inspires or are you going to be the one who is being inspired? There's nothing wrong with the two, but Jesus has called, to, called us to be the ones who inspire. So often we, we get caught up in, in just coming to church on Sunday and, and hoping that something will happen. Hoping that something will happen. If you sit around hoping that something will happen, it's probably not going to happen for a very long time in your life. You can pray, you can pray, you can pray, but until you realize that, that we take the kingdom of God by force, we're the doers. We're, we're the people who actually fulfill the message that has already been laid out in front of us. That's what it means to live an inspirational life. You see, that's what, the law is what the Pharisees debated. It's your blank there. And, and Jesus healed. See, the, the Pharisees, there's a, there's a parable at the beginning of Luke 14 that, that Jesus is, is healing a man with dropsy on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees say, are you, are you allowed to heal on the Sabbath? I didn't think that was okay. You know, sometimes I, I wonder how Jesus stayed so calm. <laughs> sometimes I wonder how Jesus stayed so calm. Jesus says, well, if you, if you had an ox or a donkey fall into the pit on the Sabbath, would you not, would you not pull it out? This is paraphrasing, of course. I don't know if Jesus did this, but would you, would you not pull it out of the pit and save it? You see, when, he, when Jesus drops that line, they're like, oh, gosh. Because 
because when you understand how much more important a person's life is, they were so focused on the law and what the law says, but the law does not, the, the law does not constrict us. The law is never meant to constrict us. It's meant, meant for us to live in freedom. When we understand what the law is truly about, the law allows us to walk in the freedom. But it's not, it's, it's not a freedom from, from the law. It's a freedom from pain. It's a freedom from hurt. It's a freedom from, from complacency. When we live and abide in the law of God, trust me, God took a very long time to, and was very meticulous when he planned out the entirety of the law. The, the law is, is whole, the law is complete, and we, our job is to just walk in it. We don't have to figure out what's right and wrong because it's in our Bible. We just have to walk in it. We're called to walk in it. How easy is that? It's not easy, right? But how easy is it to look inside of a guidebook for our life and say, oh, okay, I wasn't doing that. Man, when we realize that, that the love of God is meant to, to keep, us, keep us in freedom and in, in safety, it no longer becomes this hard thing for us to do. And when we're able to share that with others, when we're able to set that example in our life of it's not, man, i got to go to church today, it's Sunday. It's like, man, i got to go to church today, coffee, church day. Right? We begin to understand what it means to live a passionate life. One of the, I think my favorite character in the Bible outside of Jesus was a man by the name of Stephen. If you don't know who Stephen was, <clears throat> Stephen was a man who lived his life in such a powerful way for God. His life got changed, and, and uh, he was inspired, and he was filled with passion and conviction of, of the gospel. And we see in Acts chapter 7, he's preaching, he's preaching the word to people, and people don't like it. Right? They didn't like Jesus when they hung him on the cross. Apparently, they didn't like Jesus when he rose from the dead and saw him walking. People did not like Jesus. People did not like the, the confrontation that came with, with this idea that the law rules all. And so basically what happens is they put him before a council and say, you got to stop preaching, man. you got to stop doing this. you got to stop living this way. It's not okay. So what does Stephen do? He starts preaching, right? And um, it comes to the point where they're, they're going to stone him to kill him. And they do. They end up stoning him. And he lived, he lived his life with such passion and conviction of Jesus that, that no consequence on earth was going to keep him from his heavenly father and the mission that he knew in his life. But the part I love the most about Stephen is something that Stephen would never know on earth. When Stephen set the example, he, he's considered the first Christian martyr. When Stephen set that example of putting eternity first in his life, there was a man by the name of Saul who was sitting there watching all of this. There's a man by the name of Saul sitting there watching all of this. And we later come to find out this Saul guy, that his life would be transformed and that he would write two-thirds of the New Testament. You see, Stephen's invitation didn't come verbally. It didn't come directly. His invitation came through the way that he was living. And when that point came in his life where it was the ultimate invitation of showing someone what it means to live for Christ without fear. Saul was sitting there watching. 
And in, in, in chapter 9, check this out for your last point. Last point here. As you go involve them. Acts 9.20 says, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. This is talking about Paul. See, Paul, Paul's life was absolutely and radically changed. If you, di- if you didn't know, Saul, Saul whose na- name was later changed to Paul, was, was the authority of, of a militant force that killed hundreds of Christians. Now, if, if you can tell me that you wouldn't be a little concerned about inviting this guy to church, we got, don't lie to me now, right? There, there actually comes a point where, where you know, it, it, Paul, uh, God tells someone that Paul's going to come, and he's like, we're talking about the same guy, right? The one, the one who's killing everyone, God? I just want to make sure. Okay, okay, okay. Um, you see, there was this, this mindset about Saul, and, and people fell into it. They limited what God was able to do in, in Saul's life by their own expectations of what would happen. But, but Stephen's invitation came through the way that he lived. Does your invitation come through the way that you live? Does it, does it invite people into a lifestyle? See, those are the questions we have to ask ourselves. The last point here is as you go involve them, and I want to say that this involve point will not come unless the inspiration point is there. You see, Stephen was, was planting seeds that he would never see the growth of. But when he did so, God decided when it was time for the harvest, and I think his timing was pretty darn good. Because without, without Paul sending the way, without the uh, apostle, apostleship of Paul, we wouldn't have two-thirds of the New Testament, or at least it would look a whole lot different. A, a man that was so devoted to a lifestyle, who, by the way, was very passionate about his lifestyle, he transformed the why of what he was doing into the kingdom of God. And everything else followed, and it followed very powerfully. I want to I read this because Paul understood what it meant to serve. He, he understood what it meant to get involved. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. We are talking this week in staff about what it means to be a team. What does it mean to be a team? You see, a team is a group of people that is able to cover, cover up individual weaknesses and, prestri- and prestri- portray strengths. A group of people, a group of people are individuals coming together and working. Let, let, me, let me just say, you don't, you don't have to be excellent at anything to get involved here at Gateway Church. You don't have to be the perfect person in your life. You say, God doesn't call you to get your life together and then serve him. He calls you to serve him as he's helping you get your life together. You know, that's the reason we named our assimilation process Next Steps. It's not Next Jump. It's not Next Hop. It's Next Steps. Because we're all walking this out together. You know, sometimes, some of, some of the youth have asked me, oh, why is that guy on leadership, man? You know, he, he, he cusses at school. I'm like, well, first of all, do you, do you cuss at school? <laughs> like, yeah, sometimes, but not as much as him. <laughs> okay, I know what I'm preaching on tonight. Um, but it's understanding that we're all meant to cover up each other's weaknesses. 
when we all have when we all have the mindset of what it means to get involved in something that's greater than ourselves and to do it filled with passion and and the ability to invest in people to instruct them about what's going on quite frankly that's when revival happens you know i'm excited i'm preaching on revival tonight for our for our big youth event and you guys want to pray against the snow with me that'd be awesome but I just want to say, find what your next step is. Find what that next step is in your devotional life. Find what that next step is here at Gateway Church. Find that next step for your family, for your, for your kids, that relationship with your kids. Find what that is. Don't try to take quantum leaps. Just take the next step. Be committed and consistent to getting involved in your life. Getting involved to the things that God has called you to. See, just as, just as we have been invited and challenged, talking about the discipleship aspect, go and make disciples. See, just as we have been invited and challenged as Christians, we can't stay like that. It's our job now to do the inviting and the challenging. You guys, you guys still awake? I'm almost done. See, we're, we're called to be the vessels of invitation and challenge now. So I just want to say as we go today, we're, call, we're called to realize that this, this whole going process, this, this as we go, remember that it's as we go. We're learning things as we go. We're learning what this process looks like in our life as we go. But we're not staying still. Don't stay stagnant in any part of your life. Always, always commit yourself to learning what God, what God has for you next. What that, what that means for you, what that means for your evangelistic life, what that means for your personal life. Find that and, and understand what God has to say about that. Just as Philippians says, God is completing a good work in us. The important thing to realize is, is that we aren't called to get everything figured out and then follow him. We're called to follow him as we go and to tell the world of the treasure that we found. Amen? Stand to your feet. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to be vessels in your kingdom. This opportunity that we have to be used by you to do great and powerful things. Lord, I pray that, that in our process of, of the commission that you've called us to, that we would never forget any of these steps, God. That each step would intertwine with each other, God, and become a lifestyle that we set the example for. God, I pray that love would always come first, but that we would never forget the law. Lord, I pray that we would become a people who is devoted to you, Father, and devoted to going and seeing, seeing lives change for your kingdom and never limiting the power that is in our lives through your spirit. God, I thank you for each and every person in here today. Lord, I thank you for their commitment. I thank you for their passion. Just, just ignite a fire in us, God. Restore the joy of our salvation, God. I just pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Um, just, just so you know, if, if this is your first time or you've never gotten the chance to go to our Next Steps meeting, that's going to be taking place in the southwest meeting of our building. It just gives you the opportunity to ask some questions. If you have questions, um, there's going to be some light refreshments, and we actually also have a small gift for you as well. So make sure that you check that out, and have a great week.